If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Meatball Shop. It is an establishment I visited. Do you remember once I did an entire spiel from inside a meatball shop? It was the meatball shop that the Ebola doc ate at. And this was to demonstrate don't be afraid. So I ate there and spieled from there and had some meatballs there. So I have supported the meatball shop more than most until today. Walking past my local meatball shop, I see this sign. It is a drawing of meatballs. The meatballs and the sauce are labeled. And under this, it says... This is how we ball. All right, I'll allow it. Little hip-hop culture, little basketball reference. I don't like it, but I can live with it, except for one thing. Underneath that is this hashtag, and I, I, I can't even... Andrea, could you, could you read the hashtag to me? Do I have to? I, you have to, Andrea. Hashtag, show us your balls. Show us... Your balls. This is disgusting. A sign outside a family restaurant where my children put their mouths. Now, to be fair, my children have put their mouths on much of the signage on the Upper East Side. But it got me to thinking, not just about if you mis-enter this without the hashtag in most search engines, what will happen? Didn't even get me thinking about that. It actually got me to thinking about how stupid the meatball shop is. I mean, meatballs. Fine that they exist, but a shop for them? They're like all those cupcake stores. They're just a stupid idea. Are they successful? Doesn't mean they should be. All right, you got your foodstuffs. On the one hand, you got meat. On the other hand, you got cake. It's pretty good, but everyone knows you need to pair them with things. You need to put them in context. With cake, it's called a bakery. You might want a pie. You might want a Linza tart, perhaps a strudel. With meat, maybe it's a steak place. Maybe it's an Italian place. Maybe they sell chops, but there are other things. So you don't have a meat store and you don't have a cake store. You could call it that, but that's not all they'd serve. So why do you have a meatball store or a cup cake store, which is just a smaller, more specific shape of this larger thing that you don't even have a store for. I mean, Rice Krispie treats, fine to eat, not a whole store, but what if I had a mold that looked like a sparrow and I had a store called Rice Krispie Sparrows, then I could have a store? It doesn't make sense. You can't put show me your balls on a sign. But Mike, Come on, you must have found that funny. You did a whole segment for the just making a dong joke just over and over and over again. Okay, dong, couple, dong, dong. Couple things. I've thought about this. One, 
dongs are inherently funnier than balls. Two, here's the huge difference. You ready? It's that the dong was something that existed beyond my ken. There was this thing called the Vietnam dong. So it was a found dong. The meatball shop, they were the ones who invented the word ball in their company name. So let me make an analogy. It's as if if Hardee's wanted to have some promotion about D's nuts, that would be okay. Because some other guy or a bunch of other guys are going big with the whole D's nuts is somehow a funny thing. And Hardee's ends in D's. And so maybe they could do a D's nut thing. It won't be great, but I won't, I won't object. It's as if, you know what it is? Everyone made these, the, the deflate gate stuff, all the balls and the deflated balls. But if the Patriots themselves were the ones mostly making those jokes and getting that started with a hashtag, that would be wrong. You have to find the potentially funny or unfunny pun in nature, and then you could jump on it. The meatball shop is not allowed to make its own ball puns. Do you get me? Okay, thank you. That's all I was going for. So on the show today, I spiel, I get really angry about a somewhat dirty meatball sign. Oh, no, wait, I just did that. Okay, I spiel about, somewhat related, slobs versus snobs. See, what I'm doing is I'm taking a stance against the elevation of vulgarity in our culture. But first, is this bullshit? Because that's the lens through which we look at science with Maria Konnikova. Today's topic will take your breath away. It's garlic. In Napoli, where love is and now for this segment, I live out a lifelong dream of inserting myself into the Disney classic Lady and the Tramp. Let's listen. Now, tell me, what's your pleasure? A la carte? Dinner? Aha! Okay. Heads up! Pucci, he says he wants two spaghetti speciale, heavy on the mitzvah. But a boss, dogs don't talk. He's a talker to me. Okay, he's a talker to you. But you know, if they get a spaghetti special, it's okay, because it has a lot of garlic. And as we know, the garlic is very good for your health. I'm going to drop the Italian stereotype. I could do it, though. I'm half Italian and mostly cartoon. Garlic. It supposedly has every life-affirming, life-fulfilling, life-supporting property known to man. But is that true? Or is that a bullshit? Well, joining us now is Maria Konnikova. She's the author of The Confidence Game. She's here to play Is That Bullshit with us on the topic of garlic. Hello, Maria. Hi, Mike. We often start from here. Garlic, everyone says it does everything. But what are the properties that people say garlic gives you? What can garlic do for you? Well, first of all, it can cure cancer. Really? (laughs) No. What do people say garlic can do? Well, people do think garlic is kind of a miracle food. Mm -hmm. The claims that I've seen are heart disease, Mm -hmm. cancer, it helps, Just aging. Yeah, it helps yeah. prevent aging. So if you're 20, you'll never achieve legal drinking right. age if um, you eat a lot of garlic. So really, basically, according to some people, we should be eating garlic always. And it's funny because one of the things that doesn't really, that people at least right now aren't saying, is that it makes you kind of strong mm-hmm. and hearty. Mm-hmm. But if you look historically at the medical claims that people have given to garlic over the over the centuries, that's the one that actually used to be 
the single biggest health claim. Okay, so garlic has been around for a long time, and yeah. people thinking garlic does great things for you have been around for a long time. Yes, the earliest mention I could find was from about 3000 BC in Egypt, and apparently laborers, especially those who were working on things like the pyramids, like the really big Egyptian projects, were given garlic uh-huh. because people thought that it would increase their strength and their work capacity. We found garlic cloves in King Tut's tomb Hmm. when it was unearthed. There's obviously no documentation of why that was the case, but perhaps it keeps conferring strength in the afterlife as well. They had this medical book. It was called the Codex Sebers, and there it's actually one of the first known times when garlic was mentioned in a medical textbook, and they said that garlic is prescribed not just for strength, but also for abnormal growths, circulatory ailments, mm-hmm. malaise, general yeah. malaise. And well, par- it sort of would be naturally going along with strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And parasites. Mm. And it's funny because that, you know, that prescription, a lot of the same things we see today. But bringing it up to the present, yeah. why do people think this? So we know that uh, garlic is an allium vegetable, mm-hmm. which means that it contains a lot of sulfur-producing compounds. I don't even think of it as a vegetable, but of course it is a vegetable. Um, yep. And, Burning cloves. Um, yep. yep. So it has this thing called allium, which produces allicin, which is a compound that is implicated in a whole range of stuff. Right, and that's where the and heart claim comes from because of the lyric, Allison, you know my heart. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yes, in fact, you know, that's a little ah. known fact that he was inspired by garlic. <laughs> yes. We think he was snorting it as he wrote the song. <laughs> that's right, he was freebasing garlic. It was a <laughs> tough time for Elvis. But yes, I, I, we digress. So, so there are a bunch of health claims, and I think we can go through them one by one. Let's do it. So the one you see most frequently is the heart that garlic is good for preventing and helping with heart disease. And there actually is some work that shows that this may well be the case. Basically, that the compounds in garlic help prevent plaque formation Mm -hmm. in the arteries. Mm. And so they actually might help prevent a heart attack and help you have a healthier heart. A few years ago, there was a double-blind study with placebos, so some people got garlic, some people garlic powder. So mm-hmm. they, it's hard to do a placebo for garlic, I would think. Right. But but they were able to do. Uh, this is a plum. No, it's garlic. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, it's a plum. I've tasted a plum before. Yeah. Um, so they so they put it in powder form, and they found that the people with garlic actually had lower levels of overall cholesterol, but. A meta-analysis show that the data can sometimes be inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does seem like there's a good amount of evidence that shows that it helps you be heart healthy. Yes. Now, um, that's why that's my, why my dad likes it. Well, actually, I should say my dad reads a lot of these studies, and I think he subscribes to the uh, Harvard School of Health. Is there yeah. such a thing? And he gets a newsletter, and it gives him good ideas. And whenever he gets a study that tells him to eat <laughs> things he finds delicious, he loves that study. Of course. <laughs> so he garlic likes garlic, and red wine. tomatoes, and red wine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like confirming that Italians have been doing it right all along. And speaking of strength, there's some evidence that um, garlic helps with vascular tone, mm-hmm. so it helps you have a stronger heart. So maybe maybe the Egyptians weren't totally off when it said it would make stronger workers. What about the cancer claims? People think that it helps prevent 
a whole range of cancers. Yeah. And the second you see more than one type of cancer or more than two closely related types, at least for me, that's kind of a red flag. Mm. I mean, here we have claims for stomach cancers, colorectal cancers. That all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sort of, right? Garlic that's food, stomach. Up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then you get breast cancer, lung cancer. People start claiming it for all sorts of things, and they say that it has some sort of properties that help prevent cancerous formations. What I have found is there's some limited evidence in rats that it could help prevent liver cancer and kidney cancer, but there's also evidence that it doesn't at all. And so the conclusion that I came away with is that it's totally inconclusive, and the studies that show anything are nutritional studies, so people who eat garlic end up having lower rates of some type of cancer. Yeah. Those studies are really hard, and almost none of them, you can't control them. Right. Because there's so many other variables. Right. And a lot of these are like, you know, there's garlic in Chinese cooking. There's garlic right. in Italian cooking. So people will say, oh, Italians have a, f- a lower rate of whatever exactly. kind of cancer. But as you exactly. say, there's so many things going on. Right. Probably the bulk right. of it genetic, not diet. Right. So the, the most recent uh, meta-analysis that I found from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition had the following conclusion. There was no credible evidence to support a relation between garlic intake and a reduced risk of gastric, breast, lung, or endometrial cancer. And there's very limited evidence that supports colon, prostate, oral, ovary, and renal cancer. And then there was another one that uh, has been raised to me, though I haven't experienced, yeast infections. Apparently, two-thirds of women will experience a yeast infection at some point in their life. Sometimes garlic is taken orally. Sometimes it's even inserted into the vagina. A garlic clove is apparently, I have to say apparently. So what do we know about this? Can this work? Has anyone studied this? Well, Apparently, people have studied this. I was able to find a review from the Obstetrical and Gynecological Survey in 2003, which looked at all of these alternative remedies for yeast infections and other vaginal infections. And they said that there actually has been some work with tea tree oil and garlic in vitro, but nothing in vivo, so nothing in actual patients. And the evidence that they have is of incredibly poor quality Mm -hmm. because there simply are no well-designed, randomized, controlled trials that investigates both the efficacy and also, and I think this is crucial when you're considering putting things up your vagina, the safety. Exactly. (laughs) Let's get a peer review first. And I know you're the one who comes to me with the studies, but I just want to quote a study I came across on this Mm -hmm. subject, a paper from the Iranian Journal of Nursing and Midwifery Research. They compared two different creams. One had garlic, one didn't. Seemed that the garlic cream was effective or as effective as the other cream, but it was a really poorly designed study and there was no follow-up. I guess the Iranian midwives have other priorities. I'm going to have to cancel my subscription. (laughs) Iranian Journal of Nursing and Midwifery Research. Only on the gist. I think that's my new favorite journal, Mike. All right, let's do our full workup. Garlic, really healthy food that's really good for you in lots of ways. Is that bullshit? Yes and no. It's not bullshit in that it is very, it's good for your heart and it doesn't do anything bad. It's hard to overdose, although you can overdose in garlic. It can cause stomach ulcers in very high doses, (laughs) but it's hard. You have to try. So it certainly doesn't hurt you and it tastes delicious, which is a health benefit. And we do think that it really helps with cardiovascular health. So that's not bullshit. But there's no conclusive evidence that it does 
all that much for cancer. There's limited evidence for some source of cancer, but overall, that part of it is very inconclusive. I would wait a little bit until I started taking garlic supplements. Okay, but I'll tell you what's not bullshit. A little on a roasted potato, on a Brussels sprout, pasta puttanesca needs it. Thank you. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She writes for The New Yorker. She studies science. She reports on science and plays as that bullshit with us. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much, Mike. And now the spiel, I do wax on. So you remember the Karate Kid? My producer Andrea calls it the Karate Kid. Anyway, it's about a kid who knows karate. On that much, we can agree. It is somewhat reminiscent of Rocky in that it has an Italian-American protagonist who's thrust into a world of combat and determination that he wasn't used to. Perhaps more to the point that has the same writer and director and the guy doing the score as Rocky and the exact same plot structure. The Karate Kid, or Karate Kid, is the story of Daniel, who moves to California from New Jersey and gets picked on by a bunch of blonde punks. So he must fight back. Or is that really the story? The Karate Kid is the story of Daniel, a violent sociopath who moves to a California town and begins tormenting a local boy and his friends. This is the new video that's making the rounds and making the point that Daniel isn't nearly as blameless as we thought. It is a point that comedian and just favorite Gary Gullman made a few years ago in his stand-up. Unwatchable. I found myself rooting for the Cobra Kai. Which I know sounds absurd because they were bullies, but here's the thing, he could not leave well enough alone. Every time he got out of hot water with the Cobra Kai, he would do something to incite the Kai. Like, like here's a perfect example. By the way, he had a girlfriend in high school, which is more than I can say for myself. So it's like, he was way ahead of me. And then, so he's got this girlfriend played by... The recent Daniel is the Real Bully video, that's what it's called, it was posted a couple days ago and is approaching 3 million views. It definitely uses the language of anti-bullying texts to talk about Johnny de-escalating situations and Daniel externalizing blame. When Daniel refuses to let it go, Johnny must use force to end this violent outburst for the safety of everyone present. So what is Daniel's response to Johnny's non-aggression? Pow, a sucker punch right to the mouth. Johnny defends himself, as is his legal right, and then de-escalates the situation by leaving the scene entirely. The filmmaker, J. Matthew Turner, does a great job. It's hilarious. He provides food for thought. But when you get down to it, can cries of get him a body bag really be said to conform to the best practices of amateur sporting competitions? Perhaps they can. Perhaps Karate Kid was an early shot across the bow of participation trophy culture. But, you know, I similarly questioned another 80s flick that I recently watched, one that is maybe a little less universally loved than The Karate Kid. It was Bachelor Party. I was on a plane. There was nothing else to do. Anyway, Tom Hanks plays Rick Gasco, a devil-may-care rebel who plays by his own rules, who's set on marrying the daughter of a high-society couple. Well, Hanks shows them. He wears his cut-off sweatshirt to play tennis, He proceeds to insult the rules of decorum, civility, and tennis. He insults his future father-in-law with a stream of lamely scripted sarcasm. 
And having been served lunch, he picks a piece of meat off the plate and starts whistling for the family dog. Rick, we don't have a dog. Oh, that's too bad. That's a waste of some good fat. Add all this up, and by the time Rick's future father-in-law lectures him... I think you're an asshole. No, no, let me correct that. An immature asshole. Guess what? I wound up agreeing with the father-in-law. He's right. He points out that he's worried that his children are going to be little assholes, and that's a valid concern. The father-in-law allows that his daughter is an adult who could make her own choices, which is progressive, but then proceeds to lay some hard truth on Rick. You're a slob. You dress like a bum. Second, you're unmotivated. You have no self-esteem, no thought about the future. You're inconsiderate, you're insensitive, you're insincere, and you're irresponsible, a show-off. You're vulgar, you're inappropriate, you're unrefined, you're obnoxious. And it got me to thinking more. Why do we even like Rick? Is it because Tom Hanks is charismatic? Sure. He'd built up a lot of goodwill from Bosom Buddies. But it's also because this type of comedy, the bachelor party genre, is a subgenre that is most enduring. Slobs versus snobs. Some of the highest grossing comedies of all time are slobs versus snobs. Animal House, Beverly Hills Cop, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters. And Karate Kid was also slobs versus snobs. Daniel LaRusso from Newark, New Jersey, staring down these rich kids as the mom says... It looks as if the whole world turned blonde. The genre, slobs versus snobs, resonates because America is supposedly classless. And it resonates beyond film comedies. Every presidential candidate tries to portray the opponent as a snob. Mitt's corporations are people. John Kerry's windsurfing. George H.W. Bush's supposed unfamiliarity with a supermarket scanner. And even when the candidate is the scion of a political dynasty worth millions, who himself doesn't drink, man, does he want to appeal to the slob side of us to win that guy you'd rather have a beer with metric. The slob versus snobs thing goes back throughout literature. It's President Dickens. It's President in a Streetcar Named Desire. But in film comedies, it's the Marx Brothers who were the first great champions. Because slobs are chaotic, and they're not stuffy, and therefore they're funnier. But the problem with embracing the slob is that even though he might be funnier, he's an inherently unsatisfying hero. Gary Giddens once wrote, The Marx Brothers were grown-ups pretending to be children, pretending to be grown-ups. We may laugh at adults playing children, but we don't want to be them. We might not want to be uptight dowager Margaret Dumont, but maybe the world is better with a few more of her and a few fewer slobs. And it seems as if our chaotic, zany impulses will elevate a cartoonish buffoon to front-runner status. But isn't it reassuring if when the votes are actually counted, we fall back on the reliable, on the more serious type? As the film critic Andrew Saris once said, people sometimes ask me, why don't we have more people like the Marx Brothers anymore? And I reply that we do have people like the Marx Brothers, perhaps too many, but we don't have anyone like Margaret Dumont anymore. Daniel LaRusso was the bully? I don't buy it. Margaret Dumont was the hero? Maybe a little bit. It's not a comedy I'd want to watch, but I think it's a world I'd rather live in. (music) 
And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, just producer, is gearing to open up the Parsley Shop, the Parsley Shop no longer featuring Endive. Joel Meyer, managing producer, has sunk a large bulk of his fortune into Peeparama. Oh, no, not that kind of Peeparama. It's a store that just sells peeps, except no sugary marshmallow substitutes. Andy Bowers, just producer, showing his acumen by finding out where Andrea and Joel are opening their businesses and opening kiosks next door. I'm out of floss. It sells floss, not toothpaste, not toothbrushes, because that'd be too much. The gist. You know what the best part of the pizza is, right? It's the tip of the triangular slice, the tip. So here's my tip. It's just the tip. The Pizza Tip Emporium. It's set to open in the Flatiron Building at a Tribeca location or many other angled commercial spaces throughout the tri-state area. Thanks for listening. Oh, hello. You've stumbled across something pretty exciting here. If things look a little shinier or high-tech, that's because we're now in Futuropolis. Or rather, you're listening to Futuropolis, a new podcast from Popular Science on Panoply. Are your daydreams consumed by what food we might eat in a space colony or whether our bodies will someday be replaced with cyborg parts? Us too. We decided to stop dreaming and start asking some pretty smart scientists what life will be like in the future. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell, and we'll be your trusty guides to the world of tomorrow. Subscribe to Futuropolis to get every episode as soon as it comes out, or search for Futuropolis on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app.